Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Narco Cop. Today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 54 because it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the young gun, Alexander Rockets, trying to prove that he's the number one contender in the light heavyweight division. But Jan Blahovich, the former champion, is hungry, motivated to get back his belt. And uh, there's a lot of implications on the line Saturday night live in Las Vegas, Narco Cop. Yeah, man. Uh, pretty good fight card. Coming off a, a, a really good fight card. Um, these fight nights... Uh, some of them are patchwork, but uh, this one is, is not bad, actually, and I, I like a few spots on this card. I'm glad to hear that. Now, should I just call you uh, Narco Cop or, or first name bro, fine? Or? Bro, Mike, Narco Cop, whatever you want, bro. Okay, because I, I feel like after like the 10th time, I'm going to be like, dude, can I just call you Mike? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, call me Mike, bro. But anyways, it, it, here's the deal with this fight. So many things to talk about, like right off the bat. Let's not even bullshit. And everybody here, we appreciate you being here uh retweet share like all, do all that stuff let's get some people in here but let's get down to business i think that what makes this fight so intriguing to me on i mean there's so many points i want to cover but firstly back when john jones was the the longest reigning ufc light heavyweight champion it was kind of like a thing where he had so many athletic gifts and he had the size that kind of i mean what who else was in there with him that was like 6'4 with the longest reach? I mean, maybe Gustafsson. Okay, but Gustafsson's one fighter out of how many? He was out here beating, you know, the champions of a past era, the Leota Machitas, the Rampage Jacksons, the Shogun Huas, and all those, the Rashad Evans, all those guys are, you know, some of my all-time favorite fighters, but the reason that they're from a different era is one of the big evolutions you've been seeing in light heavyweight was, well... John Jones stood out. And when I say he stood out physically, I don't want anyone to think I'm discrediting the guy's unbelievable fight IQ, skill set, technique, hard work, all that stuff. But he already had such big physical advantages going into all these fights. He had he has the longest reach in UFC history, and already he'd have like 10-inch reach advantages over these guys, 5-inch height advantages. It just seemed like they were mismatches from the jump. So I was waiting for the day when finally these new athletic freaks are going to come into the division and possibly give John Jones a run for his money. And Reyes, even though now he's fallen on some hard times, he gave John Jones a good fight. The reason I bring this up is because Rockic, he's another guy that represents that new wave. You know, he's six foot five. He's a very cerebral fighter. He's a serious athlete. And now you're seeing guys like that. You're seeing a guy like Jamal Hill, who you know I love to talk about. Another guy who's six foot four, has the reach, has the volume of a smaller guy, but the power of a bigger guy. Like, I love what I'm seeing from the, the new light heavyweights that are emerging. Yuri Prohaska is another one who's about to fight for the title. And then with Jan Blahovich, one of the most unassuming title runs we've seen in a long time, Narco Cop, because, I mean, <laughs> my boy Abu Dhabi said drink when Dan mentions Jamal Hill. Y'all be y'all going to be getting wasted tonight, I'll tell you that much. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it, it's one of these situations where Jan Blahovich, he flew under the radar for so long, and for him to pick himself back up the way he did, you know, he started his UFC career off two and four narco cop. 
you understand what I'm saying? To go on the run that he went on and to win the belt against a guy in Reyes who a lot of people were acting like he beat John Jones. Now, I personally wasn't one of those people, but I can acknowledge the fact that it was a very competitive tooth and nail war. So I was starting to think that, hey, some one of these up and coming guys is going to be the guy to dethrone the great John Jones. So there's so much to talk about here. Rockets, very clean fighting style. The numbers reflect that. He's got the athleticism that we've been wanting for someone to challenge John Jones, the size. And then with Blahovic, I mean, it, it's kind of like reminds me of the Bisbing story. Always counted out, never given a chance. And goes out there, wins the belt, defends the belt, and had the unfortunate setback against the current champ, Glover Teixeira. I'm pretty damn sure he's looking to rebound in style here Saturday night, Mike. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, you know, Jan is a very talented uh, striker. He's a very talented grappler. He's good everywhere, right? Um, only thing that's concerning now is right, the guy's getting up there in age, and, and now he's fighting this young gun, uh, bigger guy. Uh, more athletic guy, faster guy. I mean, you name it. And and Rakic has all the tools himself. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight, man. I, I think it's going to be a really good uh, fight um, for this main event. I mean, no questions asked that it's going to be a good fight, but I think what this fight comes down to specifically is who controls the ranch here. Because the most dangerous thing about Jan Blachowicz is the legendary Polish power. Now, I know someone in the comments is going to be like, oh, but he's only got like five or six KOs and 30 plus fight. Yeah, but just because he doesn't get that many KOs in his fight doesn't mean that the fighters he's fighting against aren't respecting his power. It doesn't mean that they're not feeling his power. And it doesn't mean that if they give him the openings to land one of those shots, that he's not going to take full advantage. And the reason I bring that up, back to me saying controlling the range, if Alexander Rakic wants to come out here and bang in the pocket with Jan Blahovic, I'm sorry, but he's getting knocked out because one th- the, the big flaw on Rakic, I'm not going to criticize the size. I'm not going to criticize the fight IQ. I'm not going to criticize the kicks, which are fucking heavy. The times he's gone out there and mixed in takedowns and – owned guys that don't belong in the UFC like Ledette and owned guys that are in the top five in the UFC like Anthony Smith. The guy seems like a very well-put-together fighter, but every fighter has a flaw. And the only flaw that I've noticed in Alexander Rakic's game, well, I would say I would say Jan Blahovic has sharper hands than Rakic, and Rakic has a bit of that tall man's defense. So I'm worried about a pocket exchange with 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 Rockage getting caught, leaving that chin straight up in the air. I mean, I saw Devin Clark go out there and drop him twice, but at the same time, one thing about Devin Clark, he might be a middle of the pack fighter, but I mean, the dude usually goes for it until he's tired, right? The usually the guy usually goes for it until he grinds you out or until uh, he gets finished, right? So at least like Devin Clark went after Rockage. Blahovich is gonna have to do the same thing here. How do you see Rockage controlling the range here? I think the kicks are going to be very effective. I think that Jan Blachowicz being known for the legendary Polish power, which is what he likes to call it, but more so what that means is that the guy's got power in his hands and you stand and trade with him in the pocket. He's going to let them things go. Rockage can't afford to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's also a five-round fight, right? So so Jan has five rounds to possibly touch that chin in a pocket exchange. Um, the one thing I do like is fight IQ, man. Uh, Rockage has that fight IQ. Um, he's very risk averse when it comes to, uh, you know, doing something stupid or, or, or leaving himself open to get killed. 
I know he got dropped uh, by Clark, but, you know, as you can see of late, you know, he's just using his kicks. He's being smart. He's out pointing people. He's out athleticing people. So I do like Rockage's complete game. The only thing I think that, you know, I don't like is he doesn't have the killer instinct to me. Um, when I watch him, um, like I said, he's very risk averse. So he stays away from, you know, these pocket exchanges. I know he gets into them sometimes, but for the most part, the guy just loves to outpoint you from the outside. He mixes in takedowns. Um, he's the better athlete most of the time in that ring. So he uses it. And um, the one thing I, I do have here that I'm very concerned about is on the Yan side. I don't know if if you've looked into it, but I have. <laughs> I, I've mentioned it, and and I have this pretty much the same injury, um, except it's not three um, discs. It's only one for me, and man, it, it's a bad injury, man. And and it was two and a half months ago, and it was off a head kick that he blocked, and his whole left side went numb. That scares me to see that this guy's back in the ring against the against the guy that's a very good kicker and it's pretty scary um yeah i mean I, that's just part of the narrative right it is but back to you saying the thing you don't like about rocket is him being risk averse actually like as a betting man i fucking love that i mean that's the reason that you know while some people can cry about Bilal muhammad style i'm out here cashing nine out of ten tickets on Bilal muhammad you know, I mean, listen, if you want to make money or if you want to be a fan, those are two different things. And you can do both, but you got to be able to separate it. And I can totally separate. Look, I don't need a highlight reel knockout. Just go out here and outpoint this guy. Go out here, fight smart. That's what I want. And back to the injury talk with Jan Blahovic, um, I actually also myself had a herniated disc in my neck and some pinched nerves. And, you know, obviously I'm not doing this at the level of Blahovic. I'm just a four-stripe jujitsu uh, blue belt, but still you know, it still like was serious as fuck. I mean, my arm was fucking like going numb and shit. I thought I was just being a pussy. So I just showed up to the gym the next day. I thought I was just sore. And like, I'm in the sauna trying to recover. I'm like, ah, oh, oh. so I was like, all right, let me get an MRI. I get an MRI. They're like, dude, you can never roll again. You can never do jujitsu again. So I told the doctor to go fuck himself. I did a month of a uh, PT and I'm back in there. So I think that Blahovich is going to show up. It's just historically speaking, when I say when long reigning champions lose their belt. Now, I know he wasn't a long reigning champion. He defended the belt once, but we can count him in that in that category for the sole fact that he's 39 years old. So it's kind of like the equivalent of had he been a long reigning champion. I mean, for him to get to that belt kind of reminds me of Bisbing. It, it was a beautiful it was a beautiful moment, a beautiful time. But those kinds of things don't just you know those things don't get better those things get worse so while i'm not putting stock into the narrative of the neck like i don't think that one one jab by rocket and all of a sudden blahovich is going to take a knee and start you know touching his neck that that's not what i think is going to happen what i think rocket needs to avoid is stupid exchanges in the pocket like please like dude if you can avoid the these these pocket exchanges like what is young going to come out here and take you down I highly doubt it. Is Jan going to outkick you? I also highly doubt Now, let me say this. In that Reyes fight, I loved the mixture of the combinations from Jan Blahovic. And, and when I say, is he going to come out here and outkick you, let, like, let, let, me, let me not backtrack, but let me clarify. Because, I mean, we have seen Blahovic go out there and stop people with body kicks. I know you saw that earlier Latifi fight in his debut. We have seen him go out there against Dominic Reyes, absolutely bruise up the ribs 
and then go to the hands when they exchange in the pocket. But listen to those last few words I said, exchanged in the pocket. This is all about controlling the range. Now, what's interesting is Rakic is six foot five. Blahovic is about six two, but they got the same reach. Now, that being said, the leg reach is not the same. That's where I need Rakic to stand on the outside, blast those big kicks. And if he can time an entry when Blahovic starts to blitz with his punches, that's when he can get that top control. And I've seen throughout Jan Blahovic's career, despite him being a Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt, he's more content to play off his back, throw up subs like you saw in the Gustafsson fight. Then, he, then he's got the urgency to get back up. And most recently, as his last fight, he started giving up some bad positions. Now, should we just write that off because Glover's the champ and Glover's a third-degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and you know you see what he does to everyone? But that being said, I don't see too many people getting back up when Rockage puts them down. And I think that Rockage has many avenues to win. Let's take it a step further. Actually, I'm going to let you comment on what I said and then I want to mention what I what I gathered from um, what I heard from them saying. Yeah, I mean, Rockage when he gets you down, he's pretty heavy on top. Um, keeps you down there, like you said. Um, you know, all your points were correct. Um, but I will preface that with saying that, you know, Rakic um, also doesn't seem to use his grappling much of late. I think he's only got like one takedown in his last five UFC fights. Who, so, Rakic? Yeah. But what, but the Smith fight, he was on top of him like for like yes, 30? but he, he dropped him, I believe. Well, it, it was it was calf kicks, actually. But yeah, a, still. Yeah, it was a calf kick. So, but... When we're talking about actual takedowns, he really doesn't go for him much of late. And, and you know, you could just go back and, and look at his stats in the UFC. And, and the last five fights, he's got one takedown. And even even to go a bit further, like, he's not even attempting him. Like in the Anthony Smith fight, he didn't attempt it, right? So the thing I'm saying is he, he kind of feels comfortable just kicking at you from the outside. Yes, he's very good at mixing takedowns. But just of late, you know, especially in that Santos fight, like I would think that he would shoot in that type of fight because Santos has a ton of power on the feet. Um, but you know, he he didn't really do it. He dropped him, uh, like you said, with a calf kick and uh and then got on top. But in this fight, I would expect him to actually actually mix in takedowns. But again, you know, I, I'm not really sure if if he is gonna implement that, even though I do believe the guy has very, very good fight IQ. My boy, Uncle Weezy, shout out to Uncle Weezy. He said Rackage was credited with, with zero takedowns against Smith. Couldn't believe it, but it's true. Yeah, but like, okay, I, I'm not going to debate what the numbers say. That, that is what the numbers say. But you look at a fight between um, Jonathan Martinez and Frankie Signs, and like the numbers, like if you look, at, like I think it was in the first or second round, they were saying that Frankie was like outlanding him like two to one. So like sometimes these numbers are just complete bullshit. Um, and I'm not saying that, it, you know, that those are wrong or anything. But what I am saying is that if Rakic gets on top of Blahovic, while he might not submit him, I do foresee, I don't foresee Blahovic having much success getting back up. Rakic is very good with his top control. He doesn't take any unnecessary risks. He doesn't even feel a need to pass the guard if he doesn't have to. You give him an opening, he'll take it. But if not, he's okay to, you know, the ref says, you know, I need some action. Okay, that's when you'll land that one little elbow, bide yourself five more seconds of time. The ref says he needs a little more action, a couple short hammer fists. And that's how you ride out those rounds, and that's how you win, you know, 
points on the judges' scorecards and everybody calling it boring. I mean, yeah, it might be boring if you don't have money on the line. It might be boring if you bet on Blahovich, but if I'm betting on Rockets, I don't give a fuck, man. All I care about is you fighting smart and winning, bro. Like, that's literally all I give a shit about. And that's what you want. I mean, especially when you're putting money on the line, right? He's not taking many risks. He's winning minutes for you. Um, he's on top, like you said, and when he's told, hey, work a little bit, he's throwing one elbow to buy him some more time. And the guy has good fight IQ. I mean, you can't deny that. And um, he knows how to win minutes. He knows how to win fights. Um, and I think this is, this is a pretty good matchup for him, in, in my opinion. Yeah. So now back to what I wanted to bring up about, you know, hearing them talk. So oftentimes with interviews, you know, it's not the be all end all, of course. And, you know, talk is cheap. Like my dad's always said, my dad's taught me that since I was a kid growing up, talk is cheap. And I agree. Talk is cheap. However, from time to time, I just like to see where the fighters mindsets are at. And I have, let's just put it this way. I like every single thing I've heard from Alexander Rockets this week. I haven't heard any bullshit about him overlooking Jan. I haven't heard him disrespect Jan one bit. He just seems like a man who knows exactly where he's going, and that kind of confidence goes a long way in the sport. Um, you hear a lot of guys, and you know they're overlooking their opponents. They're disrespecting them. They're doing all these things. That's not what's happening from Rockich. He's not. He's not banking on Blahovich to come out here as the last version of himself, and it's just going to be an easy night at the office. He's ready for five hard rounds, and he also went into detail about he got a, a early start on his strength and conditioning program. You know, he's ready to go five rounds. He's never been five rounds before. However, I didn't see any indicators of gassing the last time he went the full three, the last few times he went the full three. Um, as far as the Tiago fight, I would have liked to see more takedown attempts, but hey, you can go out there and outstrike Tiago. Good for you, man. I mean, and not get hurt at all. Like, even though Tiago's been losing like a lot of fights, like in that Magomed and Khalifa, he, he went out there and he dropped Magomed and Khalifa. There was zero dropping of Alexander Rakic. And I, I just like how defensively responsible for the most part. I still gotta mention him. You know, uh, there's always gonna be a flaw. He's a big boy, he's six foot five. He's gonna he's gonna leave that chin straight up in the air. Someone is gonna eventually tag him. Maybe it's Blahovich this weekend. But aside from that, I think that Rakic is extremely extremely uh defensively sound i think the numbers also reflect that he just seems like a smart athlete new wave fighter the kind of guys we wanted to see john jones fight because with all these john jones fights and again it's not discrediting the great john jones who i think is the best fighter of all time it's more so to just say we kind of thought they were all mismatches going in and we kind of didn't give the opponents a chance we they were like dude John Jones has a 10-inch reach advantage over this guy. John Jones is five inches taller. John Jones is, is going to smoke this guy. Whereas now with the Rockets, with the Hills, with the Ankle Leaves, with the Yearies, like these guys got the size. These guys got the athleticism. These guys represent that new guard. And I kind of just wish John Jones was still in the picture to, to see what would happen if these guys would challenge him. Yeah, I mean, John Jones up to heavyweight now. Um, yeah, I would love to see him in this division right now because there is a lot of young, athletic, big, tall, uh, you know, you name it, attributes that kind of match uh, what John Jones has. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm very interested in seeing what's, what, how it's going to play out going forward at this 205 uh, weight class. Um, I do what I like, what I see from Yuri. I mean, the guy is uh, 
absolute animal. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. So this should be a hell of a fight. I'm I am considering uh, playing Rocket Straight. I haven't bet anything on this card yet, but um, Rocket Straight was something that I was I was considering. Um, I only see the path to victory for Jan Blahovich. He he's got to put those hands on him, man. I mean that's the bottom line. He's got to mixing the hands to the kicks. Uh, we did see uh Rocket have a little issue with the with the calf kicks from Volkan Uzdemir. Now live, I definitely thought that Volkan actually won that fight. A lot of people call it a robbery. Live, I thought Volkan got the second and third. But when I rewatched it, not that I necessarily changed my stance, but what I did take away from it is that it was one of those losses that you can come back and learn from. You can come back better from. It it came down to like last minute decision making. Those are the kinds of things you can fix in the gym. And speaking of like last minute type stuff, you look at a fight between Jan Blahovic and um, and Israel Desanya. A lot of people keep referencing that. They're like, "Well, dude, he beat uh, he beat Israel. How's he going to lose to this guy?" And, and I just think that that's just kind of irrelevant. And, and the reason being is while Israel is an unbelievable fighter, a top five pound for pound talent. Israel's a middleweight. Israel's a guy that's weighed in at 183 pounds for middleweight fights on multiple occasions. It was really a thing about the size, man. And back to this whole last-minute decision-making talk, it was 2-2 two to two going into the fifth round on my card. One takedown sealed the deal for uh, for Jan Blahovich, which love the fight IQ, love the decision-making. I'm going to be very surprised if Jan Blahovich has takedown success in this fight. 100% agree. I was just going to say that a completely different style in Adesanya, uh, you know, great striker, but takedown defense is a little iffy. And to top it off, that weight disadvantage that he had at 205. I mean, that's huge, you know, right? Even when he's getting taken down, like guy is almost has no chance to get up with this big, heavy guy on top. And, and you're used to uh, 185 pounder on top of you instead of this big 205 or that probably is weighing in on fight day at maybe 220, 230. Meanwhile, Israel Adesanya is probably, you know, somewhere exactly where he weighed in. So, um, exactly, exactly. And, that, and that's my point. A guy like Rakic is, look, yeah, oh, Israel's 6'4, Rakic is 6'5. It's not that big of a difference. It's like, guys, it's about the muscle mass. It's about the fact that Rakic is cutting to get down to 205. Izzy woke up out of bed, he probably ate a big breakfast and made weight. So it's one of those things where I just think it's an incomparable fight because you look at 85s to 205. It's a 20 pound weight difference, man. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, 45 to 55, which is just 10 pounds, which 10 pounds is a lot, my friend, but we're talking about 20 pounds. So in other weight class terms, that's two weight classes up. The biggest jump in MMA, right? That weight class to uh, a middleweight to light heavyweight is the biggest jump. It's 20 pounds. Um, no other division. And, and it makes a huge difference. And 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 here you got a guy in Rockage who's big, strong. Like you said, he cuts to 205. He's a he's a big dude for 205. And he has good takedown defense. So, you know, the much more athletic guy. Um, so I, yeah, I don't I agree with you. I don't see Jan uh getting takedowns here. Um, maybe if he hurts uh, you know, if he hurts Rockage somewhere in the stand-up and and maybe gets him down that way, but other than that, I don't think he lands a takedown in this fight. 
My boy, Nandalal Razaya, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, man. He said, Izzy weighed in while eating pizza, right? I, I do remember that. You see what I'm saying? It kind of reminded me like back in the day. I remember when Eves Edwards would come in with like a bag of chips at the weigh-ins and then hand it to his opponent. They'd have a great moment. Like you all got to go on YouTube and check out um, Eves Edwards weigh-in compilation. Like, dude, it's some fucking OG uh, thug jitsu badass shit. And then let's talk about this. So I wanted to bring up the interview talk um, because, again, you know, we mentioned how they match up. We mentioned the intangible, all that. But the interviews, look, they don't they're not the be all end all. And, and they're just narratives at the end of the day. But I did get something out of it. I mean, when I'm hearing Rockets talk, I'm I'm just hearing someone that's in the zone, in their mode right now, in their prime just fully focused this is their life whereas from blahovich what i'm hearing from him is you know I, i'm trying to regain my confidence i'm I, you know i had this neck issue i had to pull out of the fight like i i just don't like hearing those things when you're 39 years of age and it's not like he's getting a tune-up fight right it's not like he's out here um i'm not going to disrespect anyone in the division but like there there's some you know easier fights that jan blahovich could have came back to I say that, and now I'm going to take back what I just said because when you're ranked number one in the world, narco cop, you're not going to get any easy fights. You're not going to get a tune-up fight, right? When you're getting paid, what well, Jan Blahovich gets paid, you don't you don't get to go out there and feast on, uh, you know, uh, what was the name of that dude, uh, Mamuch? Um, what was Mamuch's name? Do you remember? Which guy? Mamuche, the guy that got knocked out in all three of his UFC fights. Uh, even even Ike Villanueva knocked him out. Are you, are you the guy from Canada? No, the Brazilian dude, Mamuche. Um, so uh, he he submitted John Alon on Contender Series and then came to the UFC and got knocked out all three fights and they cut him. Um, but basically what I'm saying, what, uh, my point here is not to insult Mamuche. My point here is to be like, we can't give Jan Blahovic a tune-up fight for the sole fact that he's the number one ranked guy on planet Earth. Oh, Vinicius Moreira. I appreciate you, Uncle Weezy. Uh, yeah, you remember that dude? Like, you can't, you you can't just like give Jan Blahovic some shit like that, dude. You're no, you're ranked, you're ranked number one. You're getting six figures to show. Like, you better fight the best motherfuckers on planet Earth. And Rakic is not, in my opinion, the you know the let's get our confidence back type fight. Like, let's like slowly ease back into things. Let's see how our next feeling. Let's see how our confidence is feeling. Are we still, do we still truly want to make another title run? I just don't think this is the right opponent for that. I think Rockage is, and what I like about Rockage too, is he already faced that first UFC L. I always talk about it. Undefeated fighters, and I understand he had a loss like back in the day, but I'm saying undefeated in the UFC fighters or undefeated overall, that's a red flag for me because that just means you haven't fought the right guy. That means you haven't been properly tested. That means you still feel like you're invincible and can't be touched. Rockage knows what it means to take that L, go back home on the flight, think about it, think about it for months, and then come back and win in, in a successful main event against a very tough guy in Anthony Smith. If if you still have some rookie tendencies against a guy like Anthony Smith, if you're not quite ready for Anthony Smith, he's going to go out there and expose you. He might take his ass whooping up front, but you start to slow down, you start to show any kind of weakness on a guy like Anthony Smith, and, I mean, you know how many finishes this guy has. And, and um, 
Rockage was having none of it. There was maybe one punch he got hit with in round two. But like when I when I'm saying stuff like he got hit with one punch in a fist fight, like is that a red flag now that you got hit in the face in a fight one time? Like, oh my God, are we gonna hold that against them? So yeah, look, I don't want him eating these fucking big bombs. And and, and when I say big bombs, that's not Jan Blahovich closing his eyes and swinging haymakers. Jan Blahovich knows what he's doing, okay? So Let's not discredit him. But back to the point I've been making this whole time. This is about controlling the range. This is about controlling the distance. And I truly believe if Rockage does that, fights long, uses those kicks, when when Blahovic uh, blitzes him, that's when you mix in the entries to the takedowns. Give me some GSP shit, man. Be smart. Mix in all, all facets of the game. When he thinks you're striking, that's when you take him down. When he thinks you're going to take him down, that's when you strike. And I think we can see that well-rounded, high fight IQ performance by Rakic. And for that reason, I'm taking him with all due respect to the former champion, Jan Bohovic. Yeah, I mean, everything you mentioned is on point. Mix up your mix up your strikes, mix up the, those takedowns, and, and have him guessing, right? Um Again, I, I will go back to the fact that, you know, Jan injured just recently. I've had a similar injury. It's not easy to recover, especially when you're 39 years old. It's it's a big difference when you're 25 and then now you're 39 and getting these injuries. The recovery is not quite not the same. And um, what you said is, is on point. You know, I do like the Rockage side. Am I going to bet it? I'm not really sure. However, I, I am going to probably bet the over uh, two and a half here. Minus, it's like minus 165 on uh, bet MGM. I think I'm going to go with that there because uh, I do believe Rakic is going to stay on the outside. I do believe that he's going to use his kicking game. And then I do believe that he's going to mix in takedowns. So with that being said, I, I do like the over in this fight. I think this goes over two and a half. And I think that's where I'm going to be putting my money at. My boy Zero Bob says Jan has a plus one sixty dog. Not bad. I mean, listen, you're betting on a good fighter. You're betting on a guy with championship experience. Uh, you're betting on. I mean, he's number one in the world, so I get it. And if he comes out here and knocks out Rockic, then that's a fantastic bet. Um, I just personally don't think that's going to happen. That's why I'm on the other side. However, um, if Jan does what you think he's going to do, hey. I mean, I can't talk shit about a plus 160 shot on a world-class fighter that has a, le a legitimate chance to either knock out or hurt his opponent. He's got some vet tactics up his sleeve. Um, he's got, like, what, more than two or three times the amount of fights as, uh, as Rockets. So, I mean, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I just see the momentum in Rockets' favor. But more, more important than any narratives, again, I keep repeating myself, and I'm, I apologize if y'all are annoyed, but... It's about controlling the distance. It's about controlling the range. And that's what I think a smart guy like Rockets, a cerebral guy, is going to be able to do here. So let's see it. And hopefully the number comes down a little bit, even though I don't think the number's necessarily off. I know that might sound kind of – some people might think, like, hey, like, are you sure, bro? But, like, I don't know. Rockets tends to dominate guys. like, And um, I I remember when I bet on Jan Blahovich to beat Corey Anderson the first time. Uh, it, we, were, we were seeing some 30-25 cards uh, uh, back then, and I know I know he's come a long way since then, but I'm just saying, man, um, I've seen Blahovich dominated before. I've never seen Rockage dominated before. I've seen Blahovich. Do you want to say he quit in that last fight, or do you want to just give credit to Glover? Just I, I, I'll never say he quit. Glover on top has his back fully uh, 
you know. I, but I before the choke was locked in, he was already tapping. Not to yeah. say the squeeze wasn't, you know, I just, coming I in. I just don't think he was going anywhere at that point. And he's like, uh, I, I, I get it. I, I don't like to say a, a world class fighter like that quits. So uh, I'll leave it at that. I, I get the respect aspect. However, like we can also acknowledge what we saw. I mean, he might have tapped premature. And but let me also say this. If there's a neck issue and we're only hearing about it now, maybe it was an issue back then. Maybe he was like, "Oh fuck!" Like he's on my neck. Not nah, I ain't taking no risks here. So that that's definitely possible. Like uh, you know, we can't. We're not in his shoes. We don't know how he feels, and and he might have been like, you know, why get my neck snapped and it's already messed up? I just might as well tap because you know I'm done at this point with, with having him having my back and flattened out. So. I don't know. I, I don't want to say he gave up, but yeah, like you said, I mean, yes. Did he, did he tap premature? Yes, he did. Um, but you know, it, it is, it is a high level fighter. So I'll, I'll give him some credit. Uh, we've never actually seen that from him before where he just like kind of gives up. So I'll give him a little bit of credit there. You, you never saw the Pat Cummins fight or the, uh, or the first Corey um, Anderson fight. I, I don't remember it to be honest. So I would have to go back and watch the Pat Cummins fight. Did he, <laughs> Did he actually give up in that fight? I don't remember. Uh, like he comes out there, knocks down Patrick Cummins in the first round, and then completely gasses and just gets grinded out. But guys, like we're grasping at straws, and I don't want it to sound like I'm disrespecting or discrediting uh, a former UFC champion, a defending UFC champion, and Yablohovich, who I got all the respect for. So I don't want to go down that road. But as you know, my pick here is Rockich. I think I've said everything I had to say. If I think of anything else, I'll come back to it. I'll give you the last word, and then we'll move on. Yeah, I mean that—that's it for me. Uh, the, I, I just like the over here, and 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 if I had to pick a side, I do like the racket side here uh, to get the W. Co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division. We got Ryan Span. He's nineteen and seven, taking on Ewan the Hulk Kutalaba, who is sixteen six and one. Currently, they got an Ewan Kutalaba minus two twenty-five. The comeback on Ryan Span is plus one eighty-five. Uh, so this is an interesting fight again because it's like Ryan Spann, I actually think he's supremely talented, man. I think he's got a lot of physical tools. What, he's six foot four. He's got the massive reach. He's got a nasty guillotine. He's got one-punch knockout power. He's got explosive blast double takedowns. My issue with Ryan Spann has always been the mental side of things. Um, firstly, you did, did you know that in his three knockout losses – They've all came the exact same way with him shooting on a takedown and then getting Travis Brown elbowed three times, three yeah. times, three times. Yeah. It, it, not, not very good fight IQ, to be honest. Um, you know, either he's not defending himself well when he's getting there, because if it happened to you before, let's just say it's happened to you once, right? Maybe it happens to you again, but a third time, like, dude, this happened to you twice already. You need to do something about it instead of getting pounded out like that every single time. So I think it's a fight IQ issue there, I, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. It's if, if it's mental, I will fight IQ, mental, same thing. Basically, like I remember that last time it happened, his coach, Safe Sayud, is so used to seeing that that being the bad spot of Ryan's fan. Like you remember, um, 
did he have, he had two contender series fights right one against Carl Roberson where this that happened the Travis Brown elbows on the takedown attempt then the next one he choked out Emiliano Sordi but then the Johnny Walker fight got knocked out the exact same way on the takedown attempt and you could hear his coach Safe Sayud as soon as Ryan was shooting for that sloppy takedown Safe's like get out of there get out of there because he knew he knew that he's seen this before it was deja vu and I'm telling you right now he shoots a sloppy takedown on Iwan Kutalaba and you can expect those Travis Brown um hellbows as they like to refer to them back in the day and then what Iwan Kutalaba I mean listen one thing about him it's been hit or miss especially past the first round but he's also isn't isn't he relatively young man isn't he just a kid bro like isn't he He's, uh, okay, he's 28. He's still in his 20s. He's still figuring things out, man. And that last fight was a big step in the right direction. Like, to go out there and start destroying Devin Clark the way you did and not gas out. Because in other fights, he's had big first rounds, and then second round rolls around. You know what I mean? But this time, he had it for all three. I think that was a big step in the right direction. And... I think that he's a guy that's been thrown to the wolves since day one. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's already been in there with Jared Cannonier, already been in there with Glover Teixeira, already been in there with some serious competitors. So I think now we might to see this uh, we might see this kid start to reach his prime. It's just we don't want him to go all out to the point where, you know, things that we've seen in the past reoccur. We also don't want this. We don't want a shoppy a sloppy shot. And Ryan Spann's got a nasty guillotine. Let me just tell you that right now. One of Ryan Spann's best moves and underrated moves is that guillotine, and he gets away with it. Well, I say he gets away with it, but not to discredit his technique, but I say um, he uh, his opponents are more susceptible to it because Spann's got an uh, 82-inch reach. Spann is six foot five. Those long limbs get in there, and you don't necessarily need to attack from the same angles as, say, a shorter guy would do, even though some of these shorter guys got deadly squeezes too. I'm just saying that, like, some of these long man chokes, like, you can kind of be farther away from him. He can start locking in a Darce, an Anaconda. You shoot in sloppy. That guillotine will be right there. That's what I'm worried about uh, from the Iwan Kutalaba side, getting caught in a guillotine or the, the fatigue moments. But besides that, I do not like, and this is back to narrative talk, so I don't know how much stock you put into it, but mentally speaking, I do not like what I've seen from Ryan Spann. Like, dude, you're a fighter. Who gives a shit what people say? This guy's social medias are all on private. This guy goes to the media day talking about how I just I just need to get out of my own way. And it's like, well, did you get out of your own way for this fight, or are you saying that's what you need to do presently, currently? Because, like, I agree you need to get out of your own way, but I've thought that for like the last, like, how long have we been watching this guy fight? You understand what I'm saying? So if Ryan Spann can get out of his own way, I actually think he's very talented. I think he's a very skilled guy. Does not convince that happens, especially with the mind games a guy like Iwan Kutalaba plays at the weigh-ins during the fighter introductions when Bruce Buffer introduces him and he walks all the way across the cage, gets right into the face of his opponents. you got to be very mentally strong to not let stuff like that phase you. Uh, Magomed Ankaliev didn't let it phase him. I think Magomed Ankaliev has got a way um, tougher resolve and stronger mental game than Ryan Spann. So I'm not convinced Ryan Spann doesn't fold under Iwan Kutalaba. It's just when we're talking about a price like, what is it, minus 225? Yeah, minus 225. I need all my bases covered, and Iwan Kutalaba does have that history of gassing out, and that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, 
everything we just talked about in the last fight kind of pertains a little bit to Ryan Spann, right? When we talked about tall, rangy, I mean, 6'5", 81 and a half inch reach. I mean, this guy is the, you know, the, he has all the tools. I mean, uh, a good striker, good power, um, a good choke, um, but fight IQ is very bad in my opinion. Um, you know, when you mentioned that fight, Johnny Walker, where he knocked him out, right? Right prior to him knocking him out, he already had landed the same damn elbows four or five times, hurt him. They got up, repositioned, and then he did the same exact thing again, and he gets knocked out. So it's like, dude, like you keep doing the same thing, and, and it's like it's fight IQ at this point, and it's nothing else because he's got skills. Um, he's got the striking. He's got all the attributes as far as physical attributes. Um but the one thing that really impressed me with Ian Kutilaba in his last fight against Devin Clark is the guy landed, I think, eight or nine takedowns against a very, very good wrestler in, in Clark, right? And that's very impressive. Like, if you're telling me he took Clark down eight or nine times, if he wants to get takedowns here, he's got. I think he's going to land them pretty easily. And on top, man, the guy is absolutely vicious. I mean... You could see what he did. I don't know how Clark survived that fight, to be honest. I think he lost teeth in that fight. I mean, he was bleeding all over the place in that fight. I mean, it seemed like he almost was going to quit on the stool. But, I mean, the guy is tough. Um, I can't believe he, he didn't get stopped in that fight. But, you know, when you talk about minus 220 and 230, you know, in that range, and the concern here is a guy that historically, let's be honest, he gasses, right? So, he looked really good against Clark, but historically his gas tank is a little questionable. But the other thing you did mention is this guy's been fed to the wolves. I mean, the guys you mentioned, Glover and that and that, and then two times against Inkaliyev, who's right up there as one of the best guys at 205. So I think, you know, in this fight here, it's it's kind of like a, a, a I'm not saying it's a step down from Devin Clark. But it's a step down from all those other killers he's faced. So um, I do like Ian Kutalaba here. Um, I'm going to take a small poke of Ian Kutalaba by decision just in case this gets there. It's such a crazy number. It's plus 750. Um, we see that he went to decision the last two fights, even though Clark, uh, you know, put up a, a huge fight prior to getting, you know, going there. But uh, plus 750 just seems a little off uh, on that price. Speaking of Devin Clark, let's not let's not forget what Ryan Spann did to Devin Clark. Ryan Spann put a fucking clinic on. Yeah, he, he had uh, Devin Clark pacing all over the place, man, like looking lost out there. From time to time, I I'm, I see some very impressive performances from Ryan Spann. I, when he utilizes his talent and the mental is on point, I like what I see. I just can't trust that it is, especially coming off the results he's coming off. Like, I'm just not sure he's quite there. That's also narrative talk. Um, so back to how they match up stylistically. I mean, I do see I see either guy having knockout potential, but I see Ewan kind of pushing the pace as the fight drags on. My concern is with those takedown attempts, I don't want one of those sneaky longman chokes landing on on Kutalaba. Kutalaba will tap the mat if uh, he's not feeling safe in one of those. Um, but give me Iwan Kutalaba to to win the fight. I'm gonna pass at this price. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think Ian Kutalaba wins, but I'm not touching this price um, against the guy that historically gasses. Now, everyone do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Truly, truly, truly appreciate y'all doing that. Thank you very much. Featured bout in the Bantamweight division. We got Lewis, the last Samurai Smolka. He's 17-8, and eight, taking on Dangerous Davy Grant, who was 11-6. Currently, they got it. Davy Grant minus 300. The comeback on Lewis Smolka is plus 250. And just out of curiosity, let me check the last time Davy Grant was minus 300 in a fight. Has, has there ever been a time? Let's 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 find out right now. Um not obviously not against Yanaz and 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 you know Mar and Marlon. Nah, but he, but he never even been close. Um yeah, the closest he's been was minus two ten against uh, Damian Stasiak back in 2016, and this and the second closest he's been was actually the first time he fought Marlon Chito Vera. You know, it's funny. I actually bet Marlon at plus one seventy five odds, and I wish they gave me those odds again. Um, the the second time they fought, right? <laughs> I wasn't gonna get those, was I? Yeah. Man? No. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's crazy to see this price. Honestly, like, you know, if you ask me who's going to win, I'll tell you. You know, Davy Grant most likely, but is is he going to cover minus three hundred? I mean, come on. Like, I, I don't know where they're getting this line from. Yeah. Uh, so basically, I mean, I think it, it's a reflection of the way Davy's been performing his last few fights, despite them being losses. Um, he's put up admirable efforts, but. Again, do you line someone minus 300 just because they were super tough and getting their ass whooped? Uh, I'm not sure. However, Louis Smolka, definitely a Hawaiian warrior. I mean, I was at his UFC debut. Interestingly enough, I I was at his UFC debut the same night Benil Dariush made his UFC debut against Charlie Brenneman. And literally, I was like the only person in the arena because it was first fight of the night. You know, no one shows up. You could hear the sound of Benil Dariush's left hand crack Charlie Brenneman and drop him. And it was like, oh, my God, like this kid's going to be a problem. Turns out that was right. Now, back to Smolka. What he's always been known for is just a tough, durable Hawaiian warrior. This guy's a very good scrambler. Um, and if you're not quite on his level, he will go out there and teach you a lesson. However, Davy Grant is not just on his level. I think Davy Grant's better. And some of that durability from Smolka has been starting to wane. We're starting to see Smolka get finished in the first round on multiple occasions. Now, some people can say, well, you know, two of those losses were submissions. Yes, however, let's not sit here and you know, completely omit the fact that in the Casey Kenny fight, it's not like, you know, uh, Lewis just shot a sloppy top, uh, sloppy shot. And, and uh, <laughs> I said sloppy top. Let's uh, cut that one out. It's not like he shot a, a, a sloppy shot and just got guillotined. What happened was he got rocked on the feet. That's what created the, uh, the scrambling exchange. And then also the Vince uh, Morales fight, like, damn, like, that punch, I mean, it's not just a punch. Did you see him face plant after he hit that punch? That that shit was brutal, man. And Louis Smolka has always been, it's always been an interesting thing to hear him speak, uh, you know, about his mental side of things because he's a guy that when he's got momentum, he's really believing in himself. But sometimes I feel like he's questioning things a lot. And I remember back in the day, 
when I had like my biggest bet at the time on Mateus Nicolau, I think I put like six plus units or something on him to beat Lewis Smolka. And it was already a max bet just based off the styles alone, based off the tape, based off the stats. But here back to the interview talk. And again, interviews can be hit or miss, but sometimes you can get a lot out of them. When I heard him uh, do that interview with Frank Trigg and he was talking about how he was like drinking himself to sleep every night, I was like, oh, so it's not just a max bet. It's like it's like a six unit bet, you know. So I've made a lot of money fading Smolka over the years. I've also cashed on him too. I cashed on him uh, against Ben Ten Nguyen. Remember Ben Tw- Ten Nguyen? That was an ass whooping on Smolka's part, man. Um. So basically, back to this matchup. One thing I love about Dangerous Davey, he really is dangerous, man. I mean, those punches come from weird angles, and they'll catch you behind the ear. They'll catch you on the temple. They'll catch you on the chin, man. And you have to have a serious chin to eat them. What does Marlon Chito Vera have amongst other things? He has one of the most insane chins I've ever seen. And I've been saying this for a long time. It's going to be a sad day when Chito finally gets knocked out, man. Because right now, I mean, you you can go run him over with your car. And then when he gets back up, I can hit him in the face with a baseball bat. And then he's going to kill us both, right? But, you know, five to ten more years of taking shots like that, I'm not convinced. But right now... Marlon Chito Vera is just on a different level. Adrian Yanez, I mean, he's one of the slickest boxers in the Bantamweight division. I just don't think Luis Smolka possesses those skills or durability anymore at this point. What I think Luis Smolka has is he's kind of deceptively long at times, and if you get into unwarranted scrambles and he gets on top, that's where he shines. When he's on top, he's got some good ground and pound, man. He's got some good top control, actually. It's just you don't want to see him you know, get on top of Davey and then fucking, you know, drop back for, for a leg lock and give up that round or do some dumb shit or, 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 you don't want Davey to come in here cocky and get caught with something. But the reason I'm talking like this guys is because we're looking at minus 300 something for Davey Grant, which I'm not used to. I'm used to, you know, I'm used to him being an underdog. I'm used to being pick him, whatever. I still think Davey Grant comes out here and wins this fight. I, I think the firepower is there. It's just we got to make sure he's recovered from those two back-to-back wars. He took a lot of punishment in both those fights. But I think if if both guys show up at their best, I think Davey Grant's winning this fight. Yeah, I mean, we have to also mention that Davey Grant, you know, coming off two wars, he's he's getting up there in age too. Like the guy is 36 years old. Um However, I do like the fact that he did his camp, I believe, at Syndicate um, in Vegas this last uh, for this fight. So I do like that. I think he's getting better training partners. Um, um, I do agree with you that he throws very awkward strikes coming from a, a striking background. Like it's it's very like we're from weird angles. He's he's switching up his stances and throwing from weird angles. Um, and to be honest, the punch that caught. Luis Smoka against Vince Morales was kind of like an, an awkward angle where it caught him with a, I believe it was a right hand uh-huh. with him coming in. So I could see Grant landing something similar and, and, and knocking uh Smoka out. Cause I do believe his durability is kind of waning. Um, but the other thing that really was a concern is go back, go back and watch that Teco fight. Like he was getting lit up in that first round. By I Teco. bet Teco. Uh, yeah. And, 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 yeah, he won that fight. Yeah, you know, he flattened Teco out and, and knocked him out or whatever. But it, was a, it, it wasn't looking good in that first round, I'll tell you that, because he was absolutely piecing up Smoka in the first round. So, um, you know, so we can even go back as far as, you know, the last 
you know, three fights, he has not looked very good at all. And, um, you know, the last win was against Teco, but again, I'll say it. He didn't look good in that fight. You know, for me, the last time he looked good was against the guy, Ryan McDonald, who's, who's not UFC level in my opinion. And, you know, now he faces a guy, Davey Grant, who, you know, has a good ground game himself. Yeah, a guy's not a fish out of water on the ground. I think he's the better striker here. And and looking at Smoka's striking of late, you know, some people say he has power. I don't see it. I, I don't see him throwing with much power on the feet, to be honest. And uh, I think, you know, it, it's it's Grant here. But, you know, am I going to pay this minus 300? No, I'm not. I, I, I just, me personally, I just don't lay these big numbers in MMA. Because it's such a high, uh, you know, volatile sport, and and minus three hundreds, minus four hundreds, it's just not in my, uh, it's not in my ledger. I don't, I don't do those kind of bets. But you know, I, I do see a violence bet here, though. Maybe I, I, I might play um, the under two and a half. I'm still at what, thinking about at what it. price? I think it's at minus one sixty-ish range, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I haven't made a bet on it yet. Um, if anything, that's what I would look at in this fight because I do think uh, there might be some violence here, mostly from the Grant side. Um, but, I mean, I don't want to discount Smoka completely because the guy is dangerous with his submissions if this fight is to hit the ground. And, um, you know, on top of it, you know, Davy Grant's been stopped before. So it's not like this guy is, uh, you know, he's been durable of late, but the guy has been stopped. So, yeah, for me, it's a pass, but I do think uh, – Davy Grant wins this fight. And to your credit, in the Lewis Smoko versus Ryan McDonald fight, something we got to bring up is Lewis Smoko was minus 230 to win that fight. When you line Lewis Smoko minus 230, like that just goes to show the level of competition he was fighting there. And then to take it a step further, when you talked about the weird angles that um, Davy Grant throws from, like you know this, you, you know, you've boxed, you know that like when you're sparring someone and you're used to the traditional. The ones and the twos coming down the pipe, um, the threes and the fours, you know, you know, they come around the, the sides. Like those are standard, like like you you train how to block parry, all those kinds of shot, head movement, whatever the case may be. But Davy Grant shots come from like these awkward angles that you don't often see those looks in the gym. And that's where it becomes kind of weird. Like if you show that to a boxing coach, they might say it's the ugliest thing ever. But when it's actually in the fight, it's very effective because you don't actually get those looks in the gym. Yeah, 100%. You can't prepare for those punches in the gym because you need a guy to replicate this guy's style. And, it, and it's just not a style that most strikers use, right? So it's 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 hard. The, the main thing here is, you know, the punch that he got knocked out with, he didn't see coming, right? And what does Davy Grant do is these wild punches that you don't see coming. So it's like he changes stances. He, he does these weird angles. Punch, and he also does a bunch of like, you know, spinning back fists and you name it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think Smoke is on his last leg, to be honest. That's that's another thing that kind of worries me about him. I, I don't think the guy is basically on his last leg in the UFC, in my opinion. Yeah, it's crazy. He's 30. Grant's 36, but the fight game is a brutal one. All right, so let's move on. Next up uh, in the flyweight division, we got Caitlin Chukagan. She's 17 and 4. N -n nice little record she's got on her. Taking on Amanda Hebosh, who is 11 and 2. Currently, they got it. Caitlin Chukagan minus 175. The comeback on Amanda Hebosh is plus 155. So Amanda Hebosh moving up to 125 pounds for this fight. Normally fights at 115. 
I think Amanda Hibosh has a really well put together game, man. I think that she's good at game planning. I think that she's good at figuring out her opponent's weaknesses. And I think striking wise, I think her kicking game is probably the best aspect of, of her striking game. I, I, the, the hands aren't quite there, but uh, her takedown game I like, and also her jujitsu is on point too. My issue with Amanda Hibosh is actually her durability and her chin. And this is not just because a great striker like Marina Rodriguez knocked her out. This is also because Pollyanna Vienna, an armbar from guard girl, knocked her out. This is also because Verna Janjidova, an amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, had her wobbling all over the place. And for someone to be chinny in the women's divisions is a massive red flag because you don't often see that kind of power. Uh, you don't often see one-punch knockout one punch, one excuse me, one punch knockouts in the women's divisions. You don't often see them wobbling all over the place. Most of the time, you see either three rounds of striking, or you see, uh, you know, some nice scrambles, or whatever, whatever the case may be. You don't often see girls getting dropped, knocked out, or wobbling in women's fights, and that's a big deal. Now, even though Caitlin Chukagan has a reputation of, you know, making tennis sounds and throwing punches at the air, I think that she's gotten better about it. I think that she's shown some violence in some of her recent fights. You saw the Antonina Shevchenko fight. I've never seen Chukagin get violent like that before. Um, and then I've also seen um, she's starting to be more aggressive these days, which I like. However, she can always resort back to the, you know, tennis sounds, uh, you know, win a bullshit decision that way type things. But I feel like nowadays she's actually been decisive with, with her decision wins. I feel like they haven't been the bullshit splits that, oh, she she landed one punch but made three sounds, so the judges, you know, blew it out of context. But let me say this. It's at the apex. There's no fans in attendance. We're going to be hearing those tennis sounds. The judges are going to be hearing those tennis sounds. And, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if Amanda Rebos wobbles to a jab. So... <laughs> It's just like it's tempting that you see plus 155 on Amanda Hibosh. You know, she's a talented fighter. I like her gym. I like her mentality. I like everything about her minus the skills on the hands and minus uh, the durability. She can give it, but I just, I'm just not convinced she can take it. Is Caitlin Chukagian the person to really put it on her? That remains to be seen. I lean Chukagian to win a decision here I, I just think the price is probably about right so i don't really see too much value so i'm passing yeah i mean let's go back to the fact that you mentioned she's moving up here right she was wobbled in, in fight she's been knocked out at 115 against girls that are you know pollyanna viana not a big hitter right moving up to 125 yeah chukagian you know hasn't shown a lot of power in, in her fights but the punches are going to be harder. I mean, it's it's a bigger girl. Um, size matters in women's MMA. Um, the much bigger girl here is, is Caitlin Chukagian. Who is the skilled girl here? I do agree with you. I think Rebus is very skilled. Um, her striking is something that needs a, a lot of improvement. But her overall game is very good. And, and the girl is very skilled. And on a narrative basis, I mean, the girl is very marketable for the UFC, right? I think if you if you were to tell me who does the UFC really want to win here, I would say it's definitely Amanda Rebus. Uh, you know, she's starting to learn very good English, and and the girl's talented, and and it, she's just a lot more marketable than a girl like Caitlin Chukagian. So um, there is some narrative based stuff here, but you know, I just can't go, get over the fact that you know this fight is at one twenty five. 
Chukagian is, is so much bigger than her. Um, you know, if she lands takedowns, is she much better on the ground? Yes. Uh, how easy is it going to be against a girl that's much bigger? I don't know. And even holding her down there might not be easy. So, uh, you know, for me on a, on a betting aspect, I, I'm passing for now. I might take a poke on Rebos if, if this line gets a little wider and I can get somewhere in the 175 range. But, yeah, at this point, you know, at 155, it, it's kind of getting close. But I just can't get over the fact that, you know, this is at 125. And I, I kind of don't understand why Rebus is up here, to be honest. She's 5'3". She's a smaller girl. Like, I, I don't understand why she's at 125. So maybe it's a weight cut issue. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to work out well for her, honestly, at 125. She's just uh, undersized for this weight class. Let me ask you this. Is she going to eat shots better at 125? You know, 10 more pounds of water in her brain and body? I'm just not sure how the how hard the weight cut is. Yes, if the weight cut is very hard, uh, yeah, I agree with you for sure. Um, but it is very it is very hard because when they put out those uh, Fight Island documentaries and and they showed her weight cut, it seemed fucking brutal, actually. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then yes, because um, you know we know that weight cuts uh, hamper your durability, right? If you if you're getting drained, um, your dur- durability and cardio goes so. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it could rehydrate, she could rehydrate better at 125 and the weight cut's not brutal. Um, it's just crazy that she's so small and, and, and at five, three, and it's, she's not really muscular and, and, and has this big build. I, I don't understand why it's such a tough weight cut for her. But, um, with that being said, you know, to me in women's MMA, and I always look at this size and strength matters in women's MMA, cause it's, it's a lot different than men's MMA. And, um, in this fight, I do believe Chukagian has the size and strength advantage. But, again, when it comes to skills, it's Rebos. So that's the only reason I want to lean that Rebos. And the fact that it's, you know, I'm getting a nice plus number on, on a girl that's uh, a lot more, not a lot more skilled, but the better skilled fighter. Now, everybody do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. We've already been talking an hour, man. I, I, I really enjoy talking fights with you. This is flown by. Has it flown by for you or has it been tedious? For me, it's flown by. Yeah, I mean, I it doesn't even seem like it's an hour. Um, there's a bunch of people. Chat is rocking. I like it. I like it. Yeah, this is fucking awesome, man. It feels like it's been 10 minutes, but shit, it's been an hour. Uh, so everybody, do us that huge favor. Because listen, like, I don't got no big websites backing me, and I'm not trying to give this speech every week. But all I'm trying to say is that this is all about the fans, man. Y'all are the way that we're going to grow the show and start to get to that next level. So we just need those likes. We need those subscribes. We need those shares, the comments. Uh, comment on this video after it's posted, and then share it. All those little things you guys do help out so much, and it's very, very genuinely appreciated. And I'm always down to talk with anybody that supports the show. So if y'all ever want to reach out to me, just DM me. Um, if I don't follow you, I don't get notifications from you. I don't know. My Twitter's like set up like that. So if like you, if you've been like trying to reach out to me and I haven't responded, it's not cause I'm ignoring you. Just hit me up in the DMS and, and, and I got you at best five picks on Twitter. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Frank Camacho. He's 22 and nine representing Guam taking on, Manuel El Loco Torres, who's 12 and 2, representing Mexico. And currently they got it. Manuel Torres, minus 125. The comeback on Frank Camacho's plus 105. This is an interesting fight for a variety of reasons, my friend. I'm very excited to talk about it. So 
Manuel Torres, the first time I was exposed to him was his contender series fight. Initial um, impressions were, damn, this motherfucker's in good shape. I, I, I like the kind of shape that he's in. And that was the first fight I saw. So I'm going to talk about the other fights I saw in a second. But that was the first fight I saw. I liked what I saw in that fight. Now, granted, stoppage, controversial. I mean, he, I poked the dude. And not to mention, that was a soft-ass opponent. I mean, and when I say that, yeah, the dude would whoop my ass. But I'm saying for UFC standards, that was a soft-ass opponent. I mean, that was a guy who had been finished in the first round, three round, in the first round, three fights prior. Uh, excuse me, on three separate occasions is what I meant to say. So this guy already had a history of being finished in the first round, got finished in the first round for a fourth time. So it's not like Manuel had, you know, any kind of resistance whatsoever. So that might have been the reason he looked so good. Um, but I'm also not going to discount improvements he could possibly make just for the sole fact. He's a 26-year-old kid. Um, Mexican fighters tend to fight with a lot of pride. I'm sure he's putting in the work. But I went back and I watched a lot of his other fights, and um, man, 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 man. It was extremely green. It was extremely sloppy. It was amateur, not amateur, like as in amateur. It was, it was there were pro fights, but they were fighting like amateurs. And um, I know that people think there's only like three fights available of his. However, I was sent by somebody the footage of the fight that went past the first round. I, I was sent the footage of the fight that went all three rounds. He he lost that fight in my eyes, my man. Like that, like that was bad. That was like a hometown decision. They love him there. They gave him the decision. I've also seen him quick tap to things that are not even locked in, like uh, some leg lock attempts that were not even fully locked in. He was tapping out very quick to those. So the regional footage was extremely suspect. The two minutes on Contender Series was a step in the right direction. So at least we can say that he's making improvements. We just don't really know shit about him. But one thing I do know, and you know I love my Mexican fighters, but the latest crop has not been the best, man. I mean, you look at the kid that went out there and fought Matt Frivola, and Matt Frivola is a very tough and seasoned guy, but Matt Frivola often has a history of getting hurt and rocked in fights. It was Matt Frivola who was going out there and dropping that guy six times. You look last week at the fight with Journey Newsom and Fernie Garcia. Journey Newsom is, is, you know, look, he's in the UFC, so you got to show him respect, but, you know, he's someone that gamblers might like to refer to as a fade. And Journey Newsom put a clinic on that kid. Dan, I'm sorry to cut you off, but don't make me look that bad. I had two units on Journey Newsom in that fight. <laughs> exactly. You did good. You did good. Like a dude that's known for being a fade goes out there and looks like a minus 500 favorite, puts an absolute clinic on him. That's the point I'm trying to make here. I'm just not convinced Manuel Torres is on this level. Now, let me say this, though. Lots of red flags on the Frank Camacho side as well. That's what makes this such an interesting uh, fight. Because with Frank Camacho, firstly, he throws some concussive blows, man. And you go back and you watch his fight. I think um, the duty fought was Masanori Kanahara on the regional scene. And, dude, Frank Camacho's fucking dropping. And Frank Camacho's hitting him with everything but the kitchen sink. Concussive blows. And then Masanori Kanahara takes his back and chokes him out. So it's like things like that that I don't like. You get off to these big starts and then start to fade as the fight progresses. The The last one against James, huge red flag, but, you know, he did miss weight for that fight. Um, it was also the first 
fight under the COVID, not to make excuses, but I'm just, I'm just saying from what I can tell, he's in better shape for this one. Maybe, maybe that yields a different result. But on his best day, even though he's losing these fights, he still won a round off Drew Dober. He still went all three with Drew Dober. He still went all three with Li Jing Liang. Like these are levels that Manuel Torres has never seen before. However, that doesn't mean that Manuel Torres can't rise to the occasion. I mean, you saw how big I was on David Onama against Gabriel. That Gabriel had been in there with Sodik Yusuf. Gabriel had been in there with Andre Feely. Gabriel had been in there with all these tough guys. Enrique Barzola. Um, David Onama had only been in there with uh with Mason Jones, but it's all about catching the person at the right time. Is Manuel Torres catching Frank Camacho at the right time? That's the big question. It's just I don't I don't really see that that prospect uh, that people are talking about in Manuel Torres. I I see a tough Mexican brawler. I see someone who's going to put on a lot of exciting fights, and he does have a vulnerable opponent in front of him. I'm just not convinced Manuel Torres is quite ready for the UFC level yet. Now. You can absolutely prove me wrong because one thing I said is the contender series fight, although the the finish was was what it was and it didn't go past the the, the two minute mark, it he looked so much better than he did in his regional fight. So if we can just progress off of that, maybe he's got the goods to come out here and beat Camacho. I just can't I just can't lay chalk on all these unknowns on, on Manuel. And honestly, sounds crazy to say. I might actually come out here and pick Camacho, but no no bet. Even though I'm picking the dog out right, I, I don't feel comfortable trusting Camacho. I mean, I've heard from people that used to train with him at his old gym that, you know, this is a dude that would be skipping jujitsu class. This is a dude that would just only show up to sparring and you know, he likes to bang, bro. So they're gonna bang, bro, and we'll see who gets caught first. Uh so I'll pick Camacho because of the experience, because I've seen him do decent against much better guys, but it's not confident, man. I mean, Camacho cannot be trusted, and we don't know shit about Torres, so it's a pass fight for me. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of stuff on this fight because I do a Dana White's Contender Series show, so I know a lot about Manuel Torres. Um, a lot of his tape is actually on his Facebook, so if you want to watch a lot That's of what I saw. They're on his Facebook, so... Um, what I will say is I did bet him in that Dana White contender series fight because I heard some, or I read, I'm sorry, I read some articles that stated how improved this guy was and how he was improving at Antrim gym. Um, this guy is a striking coach there. However, I did say this in my Dana White contender series, his hands, um, you know, do not look very good. He's, you know, his jab is fine, but he's throwing loopy punches. Um, he's not very technical when he's throwing. However, he's got a very, very, very good kicking game. His kicking game is elite, in my opinion. And I said this in my Dana White's contender series. Um, what does he do in his fight in the Dana White contender series? He lands a, a beautiful front kick that landed right on the chin. I mean, the guy has a very good uh, leg kicking game. The other thing that you mentioned is, can Camacho be trusted, right? And you mentioned interviews earlier. And when you listen to this guy's interview um, this week, you know, it was it was today, I believe, or yesterday. He's very slow. He's talking very slow. Um, he's responding to questions very slow. And in my humble opinion, based on my boxing background and what I see from boxers, to me, he feels like he's punchy at this point. And, I, and I'm being completely fair and I'm not pushing it the guy feels like he's punchy 
What did you mention right now to me? He skipped jujitsu class to do what? <laughs> to spar. To spar. <laughs> what happens in sparring? You get hit. Exactly. What happens when you get hit? You know, we always say it in boxing. You know, people always talk about sparring, 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 but sparring is not very good, especially in boxing, because that's what happens. You tend to get punchy because not only just because you're protected in sparring doesn't mean your your brain is not bouncing all over the place with you eating punches. So me hearing that interview, man, it was a huge turnoff to me. And and the one thing that, uh, you know, Torres is, is, is local. He's crazy. And in his fights, he's a, he's a wild man. Um, he's coming forward. He's throwing all types of strikes. And, and again, his kicking game is elite, man. And I can't get it out of my head. Like I just see like him landing some kick and, and, and basically knocking uh, Camacho out, but to, to kind of like go on the other side, I did see a lot of flaws in this ground game. Like I'm not a, I'm not a ground, you know, I don't have a background in jujitsu. You do, but you know, those, the heel hook, the knee bar that he was getting caught in. And, you know, the knee bar that he was getting caught in is he was actually on top, like completely suffocating the guy. And somehow the guy got him in the knee bar. He put his leg in the wrong place and, and he get, you know, he taps to a knee bar there. Um, Camacho is known to have a, a really good ground game. I guess this guy, you know, he was a, a, he competed in no gi and, 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 and he has a really good ground game. The one thing that stuck out to me is his submission prop. It's plus 1,000. I think it's a, it's a pretty good number. I think if this fight hits the ground, I do believe Camacho is, is, has the better ground game here. So um, that's the only thing I'm going to play here. It's a small bet. Um, I do favor, however, the Torres side. I think he's the younger guy, the faster guy, the more durable guy. Um, and I do think he has the better striking here. And, and he's going to be, you know, it says he's 5'10", and I mentioned this too. Um, the guy is more like 6'1", 6'2". He's 6'1". Yeah, I mean, on, on topology says 5'10", but he's more like 6'1", yeah. Correct. He's 6'1". Yeah, he looked long and lean, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to favor the Torres side, honestly, overall. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't blame anybody to play that uh, sub prop on Camacho because I think it's uh, it's it's priced wrong. Nah, I mean, I'd love to see Manuel Torres just build off that last performance, keep getting better, and this is a perfect opponent for you to come out here and and you know have that rise to the occasion type performance. Um, just so many question marks on both sides that I want no part with my money. I can't trust either guy uh, at this point. Maybe Manuel blossoms into something that we can trust down the line and with these things you got to pre- you got to predict them excuse me you got to predict them one fight in advance so that's why if you're coming out here with the balls to to bet this guy he might come out here and impress you and then we get a shitty line on him the next time so you might be on to something so i'm not discounting that possibility and i'm not going to give you pushback because i've had my issues with camacho <laughs> since day one so let, let's just get that out the way but yeah uh, i i hope you win that one now kicking off the main card we got a flyweight showdown between jake hadley he's eight and oh representing the uk taking on alan puro oso nascimento who was 18 and six representing brazil currently they got it jake hadley minus 225 the comeback on alan nascimento is plus 185 this is one hell of a fight, my friend. It actually opened minus 300 Hadley. Listen, 
Hadley's got a lot of hype and a lot of respect, and I, and I think rightfully so. I mean, this is a guy that in his fourth professional fight was already in a five-round main event against an ultimate fighter veteran with much more experience, goes out there, wins that fight. He, he's been tested. Now, I will say the guy he fought on Contender Series, man, like that, when you talk about soft competition, <laughs> that, and again, if Mitch Raposo is watching this, Mitch, I'm not saying I would beat you in a fight. I'm just saying at the UFC level, no disrespect, but I hope you prove me wrong. But that's just how I feel. I want to be honest with you there. Um, yeah, that that was soft competition, brother. Uh, with Alan Nascimento, you want to talk about the opposite of soft competition? Howley and Paiva goes to a split, has the second best fight in contender series history, right behind Sodik Yusuf and Mike Davis. Tagir Ulanbekov, a current top 15 guy. And both fights were split decisions. Both both fights were back and forth. And some of those submission attempts he had on both those guys, like Howley ends a black belt. Tagir Ulanbekov is a Dagestani wrestler. Like those guys can escape it. I'm not convinced some of these other guys can escape some of these subs. And Alan Nascimento, obviously out there training with Charles Dubronx, Oliveira, the, the lightweight champ. Um, but yeah, you guys heard me say, oh, but Danny Willie Catch was training with him, and uh, the other kid Lacerda was training with him. Yeah, but those guys don't have those guys aren't the submission specialists that Alan Nascimento is. So while I think that Hadley is the stronger, the bigger fighter here. And I think Hadley's going to actually end up um, finishing his career up a weight class at Bantamweight. One bat, one sloppy takedown, like one submission attempt from Alan Nascimento might not, might, might actually be it. Like this kid is that talented on the mat. So do you see Jake Hadley playing with fire? Or do you see Jake Hadley playing it safe? Like how, how, how do you see this one going? Yeah. I mean, not cemento, good competition he's faced. Um, I'll add one more to it. Ricardo Ramos. Um, he fought him back in the day, too. So um, the guy has fought really good guys, um, UFC caliber uh, fighters that he's faced, you know, guys that are in the UFC currently. And he's putting up very, very close fights. Like the Paiva fight, honestly, it could have gone either way, and, and it was a split decision. Again, Ulenbeka fight. Very close fight. Like, yeah, I know he's on the ground, but he's the one attacking submission after submission after submission, you know. So the guy is extremely dangerous. The other thing you mentioned is Ray Poso. Um, not a high, you know, level guy. But what, what happened in that first round? Raposo won that first round in Dana White's contender series before Hadley got him out of there in the second. Um, not a very good look. Going back a, a couple of fights to the Driscoll fight, um, um, he was absolutely losing that fight to Driscoll um, in, uh, I believe it was Cage Warriors, or no, I'm sorry, it was in Bellator. He was losing that fight up until he got the submission in the third round. What I see from Jake Hadley is he likes to be the guy pressuring going forward, but he just doesn't like it when he gets backed up. And, and against Driscoll, that's what, what's happening. He was the one getting backed up. He was the one getting bullied, and he did not seem to like it, and Driscoll was taking advantage of it. Nascimento is a tough guy, man. A guy is going to keep coming forward. Um, you know, yes, he takes a step back, but for one step back, he's he's also taking one step forward because the guy keeps coming, man. And the guy has very good cardio. The guy has been really tested. Um, Hadley... To be honest, outside of that Driscoll fight, hasn't really been tested. Like the Lou Shanks fight, 
he went five rounds, but he pretty much dominated the grappling there. It, he's not dominating the grappling here. Can he take Nascimento down? Of course. Is Nascimento just going to let him lay on top of him? Absolutely not. He's going to go for the submissions. Um, he's extremely dangerous on the ground. Um, however, there's there's a line that I really like here. I think it's fight goes to decision. It's minus 125. Um, I really like that line uh, because Nascimento is extremely durable. It's never been stopped. Um, Hadley, you know, most of his finishes are submissions. Is he going to submit Nascimento? I highly doubt it. I think Nascimento is the better submission grappler here. So if anybody is to get a submission, I believe it's Nascimento. However, I do like the over two and a half here. I think both guys are very durable. Um, and I'm also going to play Nascimento. I'm going to say it right now. I don't have a play on him right now because the line somehow keeps on going up. And I think more people might jump in on Hadley and parlaying this guy. So I'm happy to take, you know, if it gets to 200, I am going to make a play on Nascimento. It's just a matter of when and, and how high this line gets. Yeah, um, I mean, one of those submission attempts and the fight might be over shortly after. My concern is, you know exactly what, you know damn well what my concern here is, Narco Cop. My concern is slipping off the back. My concern is slipping off the neck and then going to your back, getting righted out for the rest of the round. You know the judges don't like that shit. And that's the big concern here is that if Nascimento can't get these submissions, he might end up on his back. And that's how you lose rounds. So that's what I'm worried about. But I really do think that he's got – I really do think that submission game is elite, man. I mean, like, I swear, if that was not Tagir Bekov and that was someone else in that guillotine, that fight's over, man. Some of those, some of those scrambles, some of those submission attempts against Paiva, like, Paiva is no joke. Like, yeah, O'Malley knocked him out. But, like, let's not discredit Paiva. Paiva's a serious fighter too. And to go to split with those two guys speaks volumes. And sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you got to get a vet lesson. But Alain Nascimento is not really a vet lesson guy. Alain Nascimento is a jump on your neck and dangle off of it and choke you unconscious guy, which I love. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's dog or pass. Some people disagree because they see Hadley as the future. And Hadley might be the future. He might also lose this fight. No one's exempt from that first L unless your name is Habib or John Jones. And if they stick around long enough, they'll take their first L's too. So, um, dog or pass in, in my eyes. And um, it would be nice to see him finally hit that first submission. This is a dude that's been paying his dues, Narco Cop. 18-6 and six record. Are you kidding me? He, it's his time. I think you're buying low, honestly, here on Nascimento. Like, he's coming off a, a close loss to Ulam Bekov. And, close. Close. And, and Ulam Bekov is a very good uh, grappler. I mean, the guy, you know, people look at, you know, the fight against Elliot, but who keeps Elliot down? Like El Elliot is a very good grappler. And in my opinion, I think, I think Ulan Bekov won that fight. And he, and Tigir won that fight, but it's all good. Yeah, we don't need I mean, to talk about that. I, I already, mean, it, I already paid up my shoey. Yeah. I mean, it happened. I believe Tagir won that fight too, but, um, I think it's a buy low spot for Nascimento. I, I do think, I don't want to say it's a vet lesson because the guy really hasn't been to UFC that long. But as far as his a, a whole MMA career, yeah, it is a vet lesson because this guy has been there. He's paid his dues, like you said. Ricardo Ramos, you know, Hoyland Paiva, Ulim Bekov. And this is the first fight for Jake Hadley in the UFC, right? Uh, I don't really count the Dana White's Contender Series as a UFC fight. So, um, And you shouldn't. He fought Mitch Raposo. 
Yeah, and 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 he lost the round to Raposo. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all the values on Nascimento. Uh, I think Nascimento actually has a little bit of an underrated striking game too. Like he's got good knees up the middle. He throws a, a, a knee up the middle, and he has a very good kicking game too. I think the body kicks are going to be there for him uh, in this fight. All right, well, let's move on, my man. A uh, couple more fights we can – be a little bit we can we can go a little shorter on them man it's crazy an hour and 20 minutes of us flowing by like this man i feel like we just started so everybody smash that like button again all right here we go so next up also in the flyweight division this time the women's flyweight division we got vivian vivi araujo 10 and 3 taking on andrea lee who's 13 and 5 currently they got it vivi araujo wow she's the dog plus 100 andrea lee minus 120 very Adnan Adham said, yo, Levy, can we call you Mr. Clean or will you be offended? Bro, when I, when I come out here and I sweep this card, I'm going to be posting that Mr. Clean uh, gif where, you know, you know, he's standing. I love it. You know, I know you know what I'm talking about. I love so, it. Hey, as long as you don't call me Mr. Dirty, I'll definitely take Mr. Clean. So fuck yeah, bro. That, that dude's an icon. But as far as his matchup is concerned, Andrea Lee's been doing her thing lately. Can't deny it. I've always liked Viviara Ujo, man. I like her footwork. I like the impression she made in that UFC debut, knocking her opponent out. I think she's always been right there. It's just certain things, such as slowing down as the fights progress, has kind of costed her. But I like the fact that she's dropped to, to a new weight class here at, at 125 pounds. And she's also about 36-ish. So, like, it's literally now or never. It's literally do or die. She's flat out in her prime or exiting it, however you want to look at it. Um, Andrea Lee, she's been doing her thing. Ever, ever, ever since she left that Nazi fuck and she got with Tony Kelly, hey, she, she's back on track now, man. Uh, shout out to Coach Tony Kelly, who's about to fight Adrian Yanez, been, uh, been doing his thing, man. So um, back to this, because I was going to say, people are like, why is Tony Kelly fighting Randy Costa? Uh, or, or, not, or Adrian Yanez, rather. Well, they both fought Randy Costa, Guess who had a cleaner performance against Randy Costa? Actually, Tony Kelly. Let's let's just let's just bring that up. Plus, it's gonna be a total banger in Texas. So stop criticizing that fight. But back to this. What kind of stock are we putting into Andrea Lee's current win streak? Because prior to that current win streak, man, it was a big losing streak and a lot of holes exposed in that game. Like I was even at um her fight against Montana De La Rosa. And although she won that fight, like she was getting taken down pretty easily, man. And against Viviara Ujo, pretty sure she's a black belt and pretty sure that she can come out here and take down uh, Andrea Lee. I think it might get kind of interesting if Vivi gets some some rounds on top, banks some top control. And on the feet, I don't think Vivi's out the water either. Like, well, I do think, yeah, Andrea's got a better process to her stand-up game, more volume, mixes all the aspects uh, together better. Vivi uh, has got that rare power for the women's divisions, and that goes a long way, as we've talked about. Sometimes power can override technique. So on the feet, you got to give the edge to Lee. On the mat, I do give the edge to Vivi. I kind of see Vivi winning the first round. I kind of see Andrea Lee winning the third round. Who the fuck wins the second round, Narco Cop? Yeah, man. Um, I agree with everything you said there on this fight. Um, Who's better on the ground, usual Who's better on the feet, Lee? My concern here is the cardio, man. Um, Lee pushes a pretty good pace. She throws a lot of volume. Um, she's in your face. So that's a big concern for me with usual man. Like, you watched that last fight against um, Chukagian, and my God, was she gassing bad, man. And, and 
The one thing I do see with her is um, when she starts grappling, I think that's what tires her out a lot. Like you see after that first takedown of Chukagian, once they stood up, like she looked completely gassed and it's like, what happened? Like she fell off a cliff and, uh, you know, Lee's going to make you work. Lee is going to, you know, she's going to come forward. She's going to throw a ton of strikes. And it's exactly what you said, to be honest. Um, you know, am I going to bet Lee uh, pre-fight? I don't think so. Why? I know our usual is going to start fast. I know our usual most likely wins that first round. I think this is a great spot to get in on Lee as a live bet. If you, if you have it, a live bet is very good here on Lee. I think you get a better plus number on her. Uh, I'm sorry, you get a, a plus number on her. And um, it, it's a girl that gasses against a girl that has a good gas take. So, um, you know, our usual is very talented. Um, I just think this, you know, this is a girl that's very thick. I mean, she's built. And uh, I think her weight cut is is, is pretty tough on her. And, and I think that's one of the issues here. And so um, I like Lee. I think Lee pulls away a little here. I, I I honestly think she dominates the third round here. And uh, it's just a matter of if if our usual can somehow finish her early. It, 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 I mean, that's always possible because our usual is a powerhouse um, and she has a great ground game. So um, for me, I'm going to take the Lee side, but I'm going to hold off uh, pre-fight and, and probably better live. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Michael the Menace Johnson. He's 19 and 17, taking on Alan Patrick, who is 15 and 3. Currently, they got it Michael Johnson minus 150. The comeback on Alan Patrick is plus 125. I mean, <laughs> Michael Johnson fights make zero sense, man. I mean, it's like one of those situations. Yeah, we know he beat Dustin, Tony, Edson. We also know he lost a fucking. <laughs> Tons of guys, 17 people to be exact, um, and guys that are like nowhere near his level. It's just such a flake. Um, it's like a, it's like this fight's gonna go down something like this, you know? It's gonna start off if you got money on Michael. I mean, he's gonna be lighting up Alan Patrick. There's gonna be a huge speed difference to start off the fight. You're gonna be like, yes, Michael, beautiful Michael. I love that jab, Michael. And then uh, he's going to start to slow down. He's going to maybe get hit with something. Then he's going to get taken down. It's going to be like, Michael, wait. Michael, no. And then Alain Patrick takes his back and chokes him out. And it's like, Michael, please. So, you know, just get ready for absolute disappointment if you're laying minus 150 on Michael Johnson in this spot. But, look, I don't got no confidence. Patrick breaks and fights, hasn't evolved, getting up there in age. But if he can take this ass-whooping early – and get me one takedown, the fight might be over shortly after. So are you looking at Patrick uh, by submission? Are you looking at Patrick by decision here? Um, I, I ain't laying no chalk on Michael Johnson against anybody, I, like even against Manuel Torres. Yeah, I mean, you're in my head because the submission prop for Alan Patrick is plus 700. Um, doesn't make sense. Um, on the feet, like, He's going to be outmatched. Uh, the speed advantage is big. Um, and not to mention, like, Michael Johnson's a very crisp striker. I mean, the guy, everything is straight in combinations. I mean, this guy throws a ton of combinations. Um, but you mentioned it. Like, uh, he's slowing down. Um, he's one-dimensional. Um, you know, Patrick, at first I had the same thought that this guy kind of, like, you know, is breaking and stuff like that. But, my God. He took a lot of punishment in these fights, like especially the Holtzman fight. I mean, 
he was absolutely getting blasted with elbows before he got put out um, with an elbow from Mount. And, um, you know, against Mason Jones, I mean, the guy is a high-paced guy mixing in takedowns. I mean, he landed some uh, vicious elbows uh, on the uh, against the cage. And, you know, Mason Jones is a overall fighter, right? He's got a good ground game. He's got a good uh, a wrestling game. He's got a good striking game. That's not something Michael Johnson has. And, and you know, to be honest, uh, I don't want to favor a guy like Alan Patrick here because that guy's up there in age, but so is so is Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson's not young. He's 35 or 36. Uh, Patrick is 38, you know, coming off a little bit of a beating uh, with Mason Jones. But, you know, it's been a year now. And um, at this price here, like, how could you how could you possibly lay minus 155 with Michael Johnson? I can't. Um, I'm going to favor Alan Patrick here at, you know, at the plus uh, dog odds. Uh, I'm not going to take him, but I am going to play that submission plot uh, at plus 700. Hey, everybody, we appreciate y'all being here with us. Three more fights to go. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button because next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Virna Janjidoba. She's 17 and three, taking on Angela Hill, who is 13 and 11. Currently, they got it. Virna Janjidoba minus 185. The comeback on Angela Hill is plus 160. So I see this fight going down basically two ways. First way, one takedown, and the fight is over shortly after for Virna Janjidoba. I could see Virna Janjidoba coming out here and just submitting her right away. Other way, I see it going as a close split decision because Virna Janjidoba, I don't know what it is, but oftentimes with a lot of these grapplers, they start you know showing some improvements in the stand-up they start getting a couple moments they might wobble an opponent they might get a knockout all of a sudden they forgot they forget about their grappling backgrounds all, all of a sudden they think they're k1 strikers she wobbled amanda rebos bad that last fight maybe she wants to come out here and prove something against angela hill that she can strike with her and i'm not saying that she can't have success there i'm just saying why even like take that approach to give angela hill any kind of chance of winning like i know virna's got the black belt and the skills to come out here take her down one time and finish her. These girls that Angela has been fighting haven't really been attempting takedowns on her for the most part. You know, some have here and there, but none of them on the black belt level of of uh, Virna Janjidoba. Someone can bring up the the Claudia Gadelia fight. Like guys, stop listening to this bullshit about Angela Hill crying robbery every fight, saying she beat Yan Xiaonan. Like what? Excuse me, saying that she beat Claudia Gadelia. She won a round against Claudia Gadelia, but she lost two rounds. That means she lost 29-28. So, like, you got to take it round by round. Lemos' fight was close. I thought Lemos edged it. Listen, man, my, my bottom line is that I don't like this victim mentality from Angela Hill always acting like, oh, the judges fucked me. It's like, no, you start off strong and then you fade. <laughs> like, I saw that karate hottie fight. First two rounds did great. Next three rounds took her foot off the off the pedal, man. Like you, you got no one to blame but yourself. I'm not seeing that accountability. Like I'm not I'm not seeing her, you know, take full responsibility for the way she's fighting. I'm not seeing anything changing. I'm just seeing an aging fighter here. My only concern is the minus 185 price tag because if Virna is cocky, if Virna thinks she's going to stand and bang with Angela Hill, I'm not saying she's not going to win that fight. I'm just saying that's where it goes more towards a split decision. That's where there's value on Angela Hill at plus 160. But if Virna does what I know she's capable of doing, if she does what I want her to do, if you give me the video game controller and I got Virna Janjidoba, we're taking this girl down in the first round, we're passing, and we're submitting her. So 
I'm going Virna Janjidoba first round submission. It's going to really piss me off when she doesn't shoot a single takedown. Yeah, I'm on the other side. Um, I'm very low on this Verna Jandaroba, honestly. I don't like her wrestling, one. She's got a very good jiu-jitsu game. But I, I, I have to disagree with you on the striking, man. Like, if, if this is striking for 15 minutes, Angela Hill is going to dominate her. She doesn't. She has a very, very bad striking game. I don't like it whatsoever. Um, Rebos hurt her very, very bad in that third round. Um, she almost got her out of there. Um Angela Hill is going to put it on her if this is on the feet for 15 minutes, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, the, the concern is if this fight hits the ground, what happens? You know, is Ferna going to be able to sub Angela Hill? Angela Hill has been improving definitely um, through her fights. Yes, she's 37, but I have seen improvements uh, from her, you know, fight to fight. And, you know, looking back at that Lemos fight, you know, a, a very, very close fight. Um uh, Lemos is a big, strong girl. I think she defended three or four takedowns in that fight. Um, I just, you know, Janda Roba's wrestling is, is not very good. If she gets it down there, yes, she's extremely dangerous. I just don't know if she will. And when this fight's on the feet, I have to favor um, uh, Hill here. And, and you know, getting this the nice plus number, I, I really like Hill in this spot. I'm going to wait because this line keeps on going up. So... It's at plus 160. I, I might even hit it at plus 160. But, uh, yeah, I kind of favor the hillside here, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm just not very high on this uh, girl, Verna. And, you know, looking back, even the Mackenzie Dern outstruck this girl on the feet. So, uh, for me, I like the hillside. Um, that's what I'm going to take here. Yeah, but you got to also, the context is, what, are you going to take down Mackenzie Dern and try to submit her? No, absolutely not, but it's still a bad look when you're getting outstruck by Mackenzie Dern because she is not a very good striker. So Hill, I would rate a much, much better striker than uh, Mackenzie Dern. Yeah, no I, no disagreement. It's just the styles, you know, like against Amanda Hebosh, like you're not, you're probably not going to submit a black belt like that. You're probably not going to submit a black belt like Mackenzie Dern, so you got to trade with them. You don't have to trade with Angela, Verna. So, Verna, please take her down and submit it. Like, do what Random Marcos did, like, not too long ago. I think that's a big possibility here. It's just, um, yeah, I, I just don't know. Like, sometimes these grapplers fall in love with their striking, and she does that here. The odds significantly switch into Hill's favor, but I know that there's levels to this jujitsu difference here between the two. It's just a matter of can I trust Virna to actually not even get a takedown, pull guard and sweep. Like, do give me something, jump on her back against the fence. Like, I know you can submit this girl in the first round, uh, and I say first round because as the fight progresses, you know that you know how that Brazilian cardio is, my man. So, uh, but Angela Hill slows down as as fights progress too. She, you're, you're, you're right. She does. But you know what? She showed something in the Lemos fight, honestly, in the third round. I think she was the one coming on. Um, she looked like she had the better cardio in that fight. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you uh, as a whole. Like, she slows down in fights. Uh, but um, Jandaroba herself slows down a lot, and she slowed down a ton uh, in the Rebos fight. Absolutely. It, it might get interesting if this hits the uh, later rounds. Pen ultimate fight we got in the flyweight division. We got Carlos Candelario. He's eight and one, representing New England, taking on Tatsura Tyra, representing Japan, who is ten and zero. Oh. Currently, they got a Tatsura Tyra minus two forty five. The comeback on Carlos Candelario is plus two oh five. So, 
fight was supposed to take place two weeks ago. Candelario got sick. Um, I'm not sure the extent to what he, I don't know what he had food poisoning. I don't COVID. I don't, I have no idea if anybody knows, let us know. But back to this, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that my, my red flag was with a lot of the Asian fighters making that flight over like, dude, they're, they get so jet lagged that they don't perform at their optimal self. When I interviewed Daun Jung, um, I asked him, like, dude, like, how much time do you need to acclimate? This dude told me a month, and he told me they only fly him out, like, 10 days in advance. So we haven't even seen him at his optimal self. Now, that being said, I heard two weeks ago when this fight was supposed to happen that Tyra had already been in Vegas for 12 weeks. So he's already acclimated. Now you give him an extra two weeks. I don't think jet lag is going to be an issue. So now it's about that UFC debut. Is he going to perform like the guy I saw on tape? Because the guy I saw on tape is a very physical guy for the flyweight division. He's very big. Might not have the best volume, but when he decides to let things go, he's effective. Good at taking the back. Like just a solid, strong guy for the weight class. And Carlos Candelario, I like him a lot too because he's got that Latin warrior spirit about him. He can throw volume on the feet. He can mix in takedowns as well. Um, I know the... Last one, he had two contender series fights. The last one was considered a bit controversial and live. I thought it was, but when I rewatched, I mean, I kind of thought that Alta Morano kind of started to pick it up towards the second half of the second round, and that might be why the judges kind of swayed it towards his favor. While while I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, it could have gone this way, it could have gone that way. Let's just say I've seen way worse robberies than that fight Let, let's just leave it at that so i mean i kind of see tyra coming out here and just being the more physical guy and maybe getting it down the stretch my issue is ufc debut we don't know if he's going to perform like the guy we saw on tape we know that carlos candelario has already got two fights under his belt on the apex under those bright lights and he's a relentless dude and he's got a chip on his shoulder from losing that last one which he thought he won um but you know, he was just sick two weeks ago. How's the second weight, uh, weight cut going to go after you were sick? Now, that being said, Tatsura Tyra being a bigger guy in the weight class, he also has to make a, a second weight cut too. So let's not ignore that. Um, I just kind of see Tyra having the, the the higher ceiling, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win. When I bet on um, Tyla Santos at minus 150 to beat Mara Romero Barella, I could have said all the same shit. Yeah, she's got the higher ceiling. Yeah, she's the better fighter. Yeah, this and that. The tape looks a certain way, but that UFC debut, sometimes sometimes they don't perform how you want them to. So that's my concern. So I'm not going to bet this fight, but pure pick, I'll take uh, Tyra to actually come out here and uh, win down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I'm very familiar with Candelario. Um, again, a Dana White's contender series guy that I bet on at plus 300 against Alta Moreno. And yeah, oh I mean, man, it, it happened, but it is what it is. When I watched, oh tape, man, <laughs> yeah, when I watched tape, I couldn't believe he was plus 300 in that fight. I'm like, why is this guy plus 300? Like, he looks like the more skilled fighter. So, um, but yeah, that aside, you know, Candelario, uh, he has a boxing background, the guy is a, a two time Golden Glove champ, um, has a brown belt in BJJ. Very, I mean defensively he's very very good on the ground because when you watch his first contender series fight he fought a guy in candido who's a, a second degree black belt in bjj he was uh, uh aldo's jose aldo's coach for eight years as a bj uh, you know practitioner so he he trained aldo and bjj basically for eight years and this guy's a very very high level uh bjj uh practitioner and he had candelario's back two different times in that fight had the body triangle in, and 
Candelario reversed position both times. Now in that third round, he had him in a mounted guillotine. Couldn't get, you know, he defended it. Then he had him in a deep arm triangle. He defended that. So the guy is very good defensively when it comes to submissions, right? How does Tyra win this fight? I think this fight goes to decision, to be honest. Um, over two and a half, minus 115, I think is a great price here. Um, there's still flyweights. Um, Candelario defends the back take really well. And what does Tyra do really well is that back take. Like, he's very fluid. Uh, rear naked choke is very good. But again, when I when I look at Candido and when I look at Tyra, Candido is the much better BJJ practitioner. Um, and he couldn't get um, Candelario out of there. So, uh, for me, I'm going to side with Candelario here. I think this price is a, a little too crazy. We don't have much data on Tyra being on his back. And what Candelario does well is he wrestles, man. He can get this fight absolutely to the ground. And then we don't know what happens when Tyra's on his back because it just never happened uh, in his fights. So um, that's a big question mark for me. So Candelario is fought the better competition, um, you know, has a big plus money next to him. Yeah, again, I'm not really sure about this Tyra guy. I mean, he might be a, a world beater, but we just don't know. And you're going to lay this big minus number on him. I, I, I wouldn't do it. But, again, over is the play I like here. And uh, I might take a little stab with Candelario. I had plus 270 the first fight. And it got scrapped. And, and 270 is gone now. So it is what it is. Hey, well, I wish you luck if you end up doing that. I just want to sit back and see, like, how good is this kid really? Like, Because I liked what I saw, you know, but I liked what I saw on a different regional scene against soft competition. Ref had the earpiece. They were wearing the tennis shoes. Like, it's a different story here in the UFC. Um, so let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I'm excited. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card in the middleweight division, we got Nick Maximov. He's 8-0, taking on Andre Petrovsky, who is 7-1. Currently, they got it. Nick Maximov, minus 340. The comeback on Andre Petrovsky is plus 280. So this is something I've been talking about for a long time, or not a long time, but since this year started. These guys that can shoot takedown after takedown after takedown and not get discouraged are such matchup problems. It, it just sucks. You got to lay fucking, what, minus 340? Like, fuck. If it was like pick them or minus 150, minus 175, I'd be all over it. But, you know, I'm not going to lay minus 340. But this dude goes out there against Puna Haley Soriano, who – is i believe what a d3 all-american that's that's still pretty fucking good d3 all-american he's got a wrestling background he attempts 16 takedowns he lands 11 of 16 takedowns like those are the numbers i like guys like in that bryce mitchell edson barboza fight i know that was different because this is wrestler versus wrestler that was striker versus wrestler but the reason i was confident laying the chalk on bryce mitchell or even bala muhammad against luke he was plus 160 in that spot different but i'm just saying these kind of guys are going to win long term especially when you or you have to take them at good prices. Like you can't be betting Islam Makachev at minus nine hundred, but you get a good price on a guy like Islam Makachev. You get a good price on a guy like Marab Devalishvili, Bilal Muhammad, Nick Maximov, Bryce Mitchell. I am telling you guys, that angle is money. These guys can shoot relentlessly. But what makes this fight interesting, my friend, is that on the other side, you got Andre Petrovsky. Now someone correct me, it's either D one or D two. I was told D one. 
by my friend Travis Sheehy, who actually wrestled D1, but I was told by other people on Twitter is D2. Bottom line, this kid's got a wrestling background. Here, here's the fundamental difference, though, my friend. The re- the thing that makes those guys I just listed so special, the Bryce Mitchells, the Maximals, the Bilal's, the Marabs, like all, all those guys, what makes them special is that if you've grappled before, you know that going for a takedown requires a lot of energy. Someone, someone stuffs a takedown... My dog just barked. Does that mean Petrosky's live here? When when you stuff a takedown, like, dude, it's very discouraging to the guy attempting the takedown. Like, fuck, I just used all that effort to try to take this guy down, and he just stuffed it. Like, fuck, that's when you start breathing hard. But these guys like Maximov that I'm that I'm mentioning, they don't get discouraged. They just keep shooting and shooting and shooting, and that's going to win a lot of fights. Now, here with Petrosky, with him having the wrestling background he has. Now, he's not one of these guys that I was referring to because he does tend to slow down as fights progress. He does tend to get discouraged once those takedowns don't start coming as easy down, uh, as, uh, you know, down the stretch. But the early going... I'm curious if Maximoff can have that early success against a guy with the wrestling credentials of Petrosky in the early going. But as the fight progresses, that's where I think Maximoff starts to wear him down. That's where I start to actually think Maximoff might actually come out, come out here and submit him. Like, we know about Maximoff's wrestling, but his submission game is on point, too. Petrosky's been finished more than once against Brian Battle, against uh, Aaron Jeffrey. And it was all past the first round after exerting a lot of energy. I know Nick Maximoff can keep pushing uh, through fatigue. I don't have the same sentiments about Petrosky. I just hate the line, so I'm going to pass. But my my pick is Nick Maximoff here. And I actually think he gets a submission. Yeah, great breakdown. Um, Both guys with a wrestling background. Um, Petrosky gasses pretty bad. Maximoff has unbelievable cardio, man. In that Puna fight, I mean, the guy is like going, you know, takedown after takedown. I mean, relentless. When you want to talk about relentless wrestling, it's this guy. I mean, he put put on his tape. And then, you know, he fights a guy in Cody Brundage. Let's not go, you know, even too far back. Like, Cody Brundage has a wrestling background himself. Very good wrestler himself. Actually, a wrestling coach uh, for college. You know, he was a college wrestling coach. So, um, in that fight, he landed a bunch of takedowns. and and. You know, Maximov here is, is, I believe, going to break Petrowski. Like, Petrowski, you know, he got broken in that fight against Aaron Jeffrey. Why? Because he went for a bunch of takedowns in, in the first round. Um, you know, Jeffrey got up, uh, defended a bunch of those, and eventually just Petrowski gassed out bad in the second and ended up uh, getting finished. What happened in a Brian Battle fight? Same thing. He went for a bunch of takedowns. Battle kept getting up, kept fighting a lot of them. Again, uh, shoots a uh, sloppy takedown in the second, gets choked out. Now, he gets choked out by a guy in Brian Battle who's not a very good uh, submission specialist. He's fighting a guy in Maximov who is absolutely going to bring 15 minutes of hell with wrestling and and pace. And um, I just don't think Petrosky is going to be able to take that, man. And, And I do believe... Um, Maximoff finishes him somewhere in the second or third. Um, I like the under two and a half at a nice plus number because I do believe Petrovsky's very uh, live in the first round because he's extremely dangerous. He throws big power punches, um, goes for it in the first round. But if he can't get it, what happens then? Most of the time he breaks 
And against a guy like Maximov, I believe he's going to break. So, um, you know, give me the Maximov side. Obviously, I'm not going to lay minus 400. But I do believe it's a great live spot again. Um, I think Petrovsky wins almost every single first round that I have watched. And he might win it here again. And then you get a nice price tag on Maximov. Because I do think Maximov dominates the second and the third. Well, Narco Cop, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jan Blachowicz taking on Alexander Rakic. Uh, title implications on the line. I mean, Rakic wants to be the number one contender. Blachowicz wants his belt back. Going to be a hell of a main event that's going to let us know a lot about the future of the light heavyweight division. You can follow my man, Mike, at NarcoCop on Twitter. Uh, Mike, anything you want to tell the fans, anything you want to plug, let them know. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me here, and thanks to everybody in chat, because without them, honestly, these things wouldn't even be done. But, uh, yeah, you can Fact. follow me on my YouTube channel. It's NarcoCop MMA. I also do a, a Twitter Spaces, a, a live uh, a live show on Twitter Spaces every fight card, and I also do a recap uh, on Twitter Spaces uh, every Sunday at 12 p.m. Well, you guys better check that out. Um, to all the fans watching, sincerely appreciate you guys being here with me. It means the world. Smash the like, hit the subscribe, share, comment, retweet. All those little things you do help the show grow incrementally and tremendously. So thank you guys very, very much. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Half the Battle HQ. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Half the Battle Pod. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found truly truly appreciate everybody for being here thank you to mike for being my guest and until the next time let's cash these bets